The idea for the Broad Story Project began in 2020, when the nation was in lockdown due to COVID-19 and political and racial upheaval was at its peak. Great Old Broad's board member, Sue S. Jacobson, found solace in her memories of a long-awaited trip to the Boundary Waters. It restored her connection to nature's resilience and brought her comfort during this trying time. It inspired her to seek stories from others that brought forth hope and resilience. Hi, this is Suez Jacobson. I'm a member of the board for the Great Old Broads for Wilderness. So today we have on the phone Eleanor Lahr. So Eleanor, tell us just a little bit about yourself and about how you got involved with Broads. Okay, well, I'm just an ordinary, you know, 83-year-old woman. I, you know, live in Indiana. Um, I didn't start hiking until, seriously, until 1987. But the way I got started with Old Broads was a hiking friend that lived in Indiana at the time, Tim Tilton, several years ago, he gave me an Old Broads t-shirt and a membership. He since moved to Arizona, and he's the one that sent me an email that said, Eleanor, old broads are doing these stories. I think you should contact them. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, really. You should tell them about your walk and stuff. And I thought, well, you know. And Suez said she was interested. And happy that somebody prompted you to get involved. So tell us about this great trip. Well, in 1986, a friend handed me a book and said, here's a book I think you'd be interested in. And I read it, and it was James Alexander Tom's New York Times bestseller, Follow the River. And I was just mesmerized by the story. It was about an ordinary pioneer woman that got captured by the Shawnee, and she was in Virginia and was captured and taken overland, of course, to Big Bone Lick, Kentucky, which is just south of Cincinnati. That was in the summer, and then she and an old Dutch woman, assuming about September, October, they escaped, and following the Ohio, the Kanawha, and the New River, got back to Virginia. And I read it, and I thought, this is, this is just an ordinary mom. I'm an ordinary mom. She didn't have any particular initials behind her name. I don't have any initials behind my name. And she just walked away, and I thought, one step at a time. You know, that's possible. That was in 66, and then I started assuming that somebody else had done it. It just seemed reasonable that someone would have retraced this. So I started a search and trying to figure out who had, and I just wanted to talk to them to see, you know, what they had done, what the experience was, where you could go to be close to the places where Mary was. And I found out that nobody had, to anybody's knowledge. And I started saying, well, you know, if somebody did it, they could, you know, they could get people along the way, you know, maybe the Girl Scouts would be interested. You know, this would be their own history that people might be interested in this. And I babbled on like that for January, February, March. I think it was April or May. I was walking with my daughter and she stops and she goes, Mom, when are you going to admit that you're going to do this? And I went, well, 
I guess I could, you know, I'm just a part-time worker for DNR. I could, I could just, you know, stop working a little early and I could do that this fall. So anyway, in September 26th on my 51st birthday, I headed off from Big Bone Lick. It was supposed to be me and one other person, either a descendant of Mary Ingalls or a Native American is what I wanted. And I tried my darndest to find someone and could not. And then I decided that it accidentally, my my little idea accidentally got put in the newspaper because I was trying to find somebody. And somebody said, you should talk to this gal in West Virginia. She called me back and she talked and I talked and babbled on. And finally, I said, well, will you do this with me? And she goes, well, no, I can't. But I'll see that an article gets put in the Charleston Gazette on Sunday. And I went, oh, my God, I just gave an interview and I didn't intend to. And the Associated Press picked up on it and it went all over the country. And then people started calling me saying, well, I can't do the whole thing, but I could do this week or I could do this weekend. And I thought, well, you know, if I can't find one person to do the whole thing, I'll just put all these little people together and we'll just patchwork it. As it turned out, at the last minute, a descendant came along and decided that she thought it was a great idea. And they came and saw me off at the end. And a gal from Indiana, who I'd never met but had talked to on the phone, showed up literally at the last minute to walk. And she was the one that ended up walking the whole way. So that ended up only two people walked the whole thing, which was me. I considered myself an old lady and Debbie Clinney, who was the young mother, who left two children behind the same way Mary Ingalls did. That is such an incredible story. Tell us a little bit about what you encountered, what it was like being out there. Well, you know, I knew that I couldn't recreate what she did in 1755, so... I was just wanted to touch back as close as I could. Mary escaped with a hatchet, a blanket, and she kept track of the days on a like a string belt. She would make knots in it each day to keep track of the number of days. And so I thought, okay, I'll carry a blanket. And I had, uh, had a red Hudson Bay bank that was typical of that period of time. And my father had given me a hatchet. I took that. And then I kept track of days by doing knots in a, in a knotted belt. And it turned out that it's like we were in these places that just brought us back to that period in time. But I think overall, the most wonderful thing was all the people that came along. I mean, people would just see us along the road and say, are you Eleanor? Are you walking Mary Ingalls? Yes, I am. Well, I know Mary walked right to our property. You're going to have to stay there. And I went, well, you know, we just need a a place to set up a tent and a place to go to the bathroom. And they'd go, no, no, you got to come in. you got to have supper with us. You cannot imagine how wonderful people were. Every single day people came out. I think we only ended up using our tent maybe four or five times. And it seemed, even though I wanted to use the tent, it seemed as though it was almost rude to refuse this incredible hospitality that was being extended 
And the more I went, the more people came along. So you would have teachers would call or contact me or say, you know, you're going to be right by my school. Please come talk to my children. Or can my class walk with you for a little bit? You know, it was a literally a once-in-a-lifetime experience. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. And so how many times have you shared this since you did it? I mean, obviously, you reading the original story inspired you to do this, and your story could be so inspiring for other people to think about similar journeys. It's just amazing. Well, you know, I think I said in an email that right from day one, people kept saying, well, I want to read your book. And I said, there's not going to be a book. And they said, and I said, I'm not a writer. That's not why I'm doing this. I just wanted to touch back to Mary Ingalls and the strength of this woman, this, you know, this pioneer woman. I want, just wanted to touch back to that. But people would keep talking about a book and I kept saying, I'm not a writer. And when I came back, you know, I did keep little notes because I tend to do journaling. So I would keep brief notes. And when I got back, it was like there was a cloud over me. And I just, people kept saying, well, you know, are you going to write? No, no, I'm not. I'm not a writer. And like I told you, I mean, it was like, finally, I decided, I actually, I screamed in my house, like, like there was some invisible, I don't know what. And I just screamed, all right, I'll do it. And I started writing a little bit each day. I mean, I cried buckets of tears trying to get this down. And as I said, it took me 20 years, but Angels Along the River, you can Google Angels Along the River, and it's it's my version of what happened. Obviously, somebody else that would be involved but might have a different story. But basically, for me, it was the incredible people that I met and the courage of so many people along the way. And there were things that happened to us that were, like, similar to Mary. I mean, Mary had to deal with a broken bone. And it turns out that in the middle of a mountain of West Virginia, somebody tripped and fell and broke her arm. We had to get her out. And I did that in 1987, and it still seems to be an interesting story. Oh, my gosh, of course. And tell us, how many days were you out there traveling well, the river? 42 and a half days. As it turns out, I ended up doing it in roughly the, in the same number of days that Mary did. I had it figured out. I, I took like the second knuckle of my finger and on a map because I ended up getting the, the volunteer firefighter at the time and had connections in the volunteer fire service. And so this one guy, I said, well, do you think I can safely get across West Virginia? And he goes, oh, yeah, we'll just have the, the fire department will check on you and make sure that you're okay and da-da-da. And so this guy says, i got to have some idea where you're going to be or how long it's going to be. So I took this one knuckle and I put it on a travel map and kind of went one day at a time, which was roughly 20 miles a day. And with we had to take days off because people would come along and maybe they'd have an injury or be sick or, or somebody would say, you have to go see this statue. This this man is really important in our area. So I'd take a day off and we'd go do that. Or I'd take a day off to talk to children. Or I'd take a day off because Debbie had blisters on her feet and we had to try and find something to help her feet. You know, what it was, it, it ended up so much bigger than Anything, I, I, I wouldn't have tried it if I'd have known what it was going to end up being. 
Well, I I think we're all glad that you didn't know. We're glad that you didn't know what ended up because it's incredible. 20 miles a day, that's a long way to walk. Well, you know, it seems like it now. You know, now if I can get in 13 or 15, I'm thinking I'm doing a, a lot, of, a lot, and, it, and it's an effort for me to do that. Uh, and I think, what the heck, I used to do 20 miles. <laughs> you know, so the long trail, which is what I'm doing now, I, after I got back, I hadn't really done any serious hiking and didn't know where to hike. But then eventually I realized that there were people in Indiana that did that. And the backpacking group I got connected with, they would take a trip out of Indiana every now and then. And I said, well, we should try, you know, do a, do a section of the long trail. And so I talked them into doing one. And Dave goes, well, we should start in the south and go north because it's easier in the south and then we'll get stronger. But they only go like a week at a time. And I said, Dave, if we do that, by the time we get to Mansfield, I'm going to be 90 years old and I'll never make it. So we started at Canada. And so for the last 10 years, have been going back and doing a week on the long trail. This would be our last year to finish off the long trail. And of course, COVID came along and we had 17 people that were planning to go and we had this nice big house rented. And with COVID, I said, I don't think I can put myself in a house with 17 other people. I said, my children and I, three of them wanted to go. We'll just get a separate house. But then as COVID extended and became more prevalent, everybody else dropped out. So tomorrow I pick up my son and we're going to get my daughter and meet my other son out in Vermont. And hopefully if Vermont will let us in, we will finish up the last 31 miles. And Dave goes, well, if we don't go this year, would you go next year? And I said, sure, I'd go next year. But I said, I'm 83. I don't know if I can do it next year and carry a backpack because we have to backpack at least three days. 25 pounds doesn't seem like much because when I did Outward Bound, we had to carry 50 pounds. So I think, why can't I carry 25 pounds? But 25 seems a lot today. Oh, my gosh, Eleanor, you're amazing. So tell us, those of us who don't know the long trail, where do you start and where do you end and how long is this long trail? Okay. Well, the long trail was the first long-distance trail in the United States, and it was the inspiration for the Appalachian Trail. And it starts in Canada. It ends at the Vermont-Massachusetts state line. But when you're going north to south like we are, you have to go into Massachusetts to get out because there's no road right there. And so how many uh, miles is this? I think it's like, it's only like 250 miles. It's not all that far. <laughs> oh boy, you have some, you have some high standards to me there, my dear. It's not far compared to walking from Kentucky to Virginia. I'll tell you that. If you if you want to Google the the Long Trail News, which is a a little magazine that's put out by the Green Mountain Club, they're the ones that maintain the Long Trail. And in the spring issue, which you probably can get online, there is an article about who's your backpackers and their little effort to try to finish the Long Trail. It's called Let's Hear It for Section Hiking. 
and there's a picture there with a with the group that went last year. I was thinking, yeah, 272 miles is the length of the long trail. And so how many miles was your along the river trip? Oh, that one was probably five to 600. We don't know for sure because you can't stay right on the river. There are detours. There are no trespassing signs. There are chemical plants. You know, there's all kinds of things that make you get off. So it's it's just an estimate. I can definitely document 500. Well, I think I think we'll take that. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> so how do these memories and even still creating these great memories, how does that help you during these times? Well, having AWA, the long trail, having having the goal of getting back into the woods, into the mountains, it just helps my head. The fact that I had to try to get this body back in shape again to be able to get out there. Southern Indiana, as you may or may not know, is quite hilly, quite unlike what people normally think of flat Indiana cornfields. It's not like that at all down where I live. Uh, we don't have mountains, but we have some pretty good hills. And if I can put in 10 or 13 or so miles uh, in a morning, that serves me pretty well for going out to do the long trail. Because uh, the long trail was made to go over all the highest peaks in Vermont. So you need to be in shape, uh, or at least I do. I, I don't like to do something unless I, at least I make an effort to be in shape. You know, if you're going to get out into the wilderness, you better be prepared for it. Yes. Well, you're prepared. You're amazing. What is it about being in the wilderness? What does it do for you? What does it say about your values and who you are? Well, it it calms my soul. No matter how emotionally upset or, you know, I I never cry when I'm in the woods. If If I'm in a really tough place, and the tears are coming, I can go for a walk, and it just all melts away. You know, there's an honesty about being out and hiking, whether there's someone with you or not. I like going with someone because, A, I just think it's safer. If I figure if some, something happens to me and I go down, there's somebody to call 911 or to wrap up a blimp or something. I don't want to be somebody that gets my arm caught in a rock and have to cut it off. I'm a wimp when it comes to that kind of stuff. I think people are basically good, and that's one thing I learned. Before I went on the walk, people kept saying, no, you shouldn't go out there. It's not safe. No, there's there's too many crazy people out there. And I found that those people were some of the best ones to help us. The poorer they were, it seemed like they gave so much. Um, When I wrote Angels Along the River, I really meant that. There were angels in everyday clothing that came up every single day to help people that they didn't know. I didn't know anyone, and they didn't know me, and they were there. And, And I think people will be there if we just give them a chance. Wow, Eleanor, you bring me to tears. You started off by saying you were just an ordinary person, and I suppose maybe in your own head you're an ordinary person, but this has been a remarkable interview, and I thank you so much for your time. Don't 
miss the next episode of the Broad Story Project. You'll find links to other stories on our website under news 